Welcome to the Marketplace Awakening Podcast. We hope to inspire you to live out your life as salt and light in the marketplace. In the last week, we looked at this whole pursuit of seeking after God, a God who seeks after us, and we appreciate that. It's both a privilege and a responsibility. What I'd like to do today is move from lessons that we learned from a prophet who was a reluctant prophet at that to someone who was what in many ways you would call the the high point of someone following God in the secular space. I'm talking about Solomon. Right? Uh, someone who has the wisdom that God gives and blessed him with because he asked for that wisdom and who, who accomplished much in life. And yet as you read the, the footnotes of his life. I mean, I, I think Ecclesiastes is a footnote to Solomon's reign and his life. And sometimes footnotes communicate a lot more than the main body in and of itself. Uh, and likewise, Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is typically what you would call, if you, if you uh, look at your Bibles, uh, I know on the prescript it would mention that it's a song of, or a Psalm of Solomon, it's a song of ascent. It simply means these were the songs that the children of Israel used to sing as they were going up uh, to Jerusalem. You know, it's, it's an ascent. Jerusalem was on a hill, right? So they, the temple's on a hill. So as they're going up, these are the community songs they used to sing. And one of the things you'll recognize as you read through Psalm 127, I'll read that in a bit for us, uh, is that the psalm reflects the reality of life in the in, in agreeing that human beings by definition or by nature we are creatures who build things now uh, everyone on this call has a deep passion to accomplish something I mean whether you call it career or whether you call it ministry or whether you call it the tweening of the two or whatever you call it we, we, we don't think of ourselves as people who merely drift along but we think of ourselves as people who are pursuing something, who are building something. And, and so, so the fact of the matter is that we are builders irrespective of how well we build or how poorly we build. So the question is never, are we building something? The question is, more appropriately put, how are we building whatever we build? And the fact is that we all have dreams and we aspire to live well. And we do that to the best of our understanding of what living life well actually means and to the best of our ability to do what we can do or must do in order to live well according to uh, what we understand it to be. And keep that at the backdrop as we look at Psalm 127 because Psalm 127 offers us an incredible paradigm of what it will take to build well and it offers us that paradigm as we seek God. So here's Psalm 127. Solomon is saying, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. It is in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for the Lord, he grants sleep to those he loves. It's very interesting. It doesn't say he grants bread to those he loves. We'll come to that in a bit. Right? Because you're toiling for food to eat. So shouldn't he be granting bread? Why does he grant sleep? 
Well, I couldn't help but ask that question as we were going along. Let, let me continue reading. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's womb. Blessed, says Solomon, is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents. Like I said, a lot is going on over here. But even before we interact with the psalm, we have to understand that this is, like I said earlier, this is Solomon's song. This is Solomon's psalm. Now, Solomon, more than anybody else knew, I mean, this was his life's experience, right? More than anybody else, he knew that no one could build anything unless the Lord grants it to them. Now, how do we know this is true? Because we see that his father, David, was the one who deeply desired to build a temple for the Lord. I mean, should I live in a palace while the house of my Lord be in shambles? That was what David was uh, what said. And he spoke to the prophet Nathan and the prophet Nathan said, do whatever is on your heart and the Lord will bless you. Uh, the prophet apparently spoke out of turn because it was God's desire that David would perceive the design but it would be Solomon who does the building. So Solomon knows that, you know, unless it is the Lord who grants, people cannot do anything on his own. I mean, you have this whole thing chronicled in Second Chronicles, First Chronicles, actually, this, this transition between David to Solomon and the building of the temple and all of that. So there is, Solomon is writing from his deep lived experience, not just a theoretical statement that he's making, but he's, he's saying this, from his deep lived experience and and what you begin to realize is that it was Solomon's privilege to know these things but his privilege did not keep him from his pain that's why I said this the footnotes that you see of Solomon's life communicates a lot more than the body of what uh, gives us an account of his life and and this is Solomon's psalm you know his life shows us that no matter how good you are or how smart you are or how wise you are or how hardworking you are, how accomplished you are, unless you build your life based on, hear me carefully, unless you build your life based on divine consent, you will end up in ruins. Like I said, Whatever Solomon said, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the, the Lord guards the city, its watchmen stand watch in vain. This is Solomon's privilege to have known. He knows this not just theoretically, he knows this experientially. And yet that knowledge did not keep him from the pain he endured in his life as it unfolded. Which tells us that knowledge no matter how we gain it i mean very often we reduce knowledge to information which is not uh, necessarily true information is a way we gain knowledge of things but experience is also a way we gain to know, know things and we sometimes privilege experience over information and we tend to think that if i experience life a certain way then my life will be very different and sometimes even in our conversation with others we say oh he just knows the lord head knowledge he doesn't he doesn't have that experience of the lord now, Solomon seems to challenge that assertion. He seems to tell us that no matter how 
unique uh, experience with God is unless you and I are committed to continue building our lives based on divine consent your end and mine will be in ruin because we, we see this as you read the, the chronicles you see that Solomon asked for wisdom to rule the people and God granted his wisdom and we assume that having now received wisdom from God and being known as the wisest man on planet earth, he would have done what was good. But you read passage like Second Chronicles 10 and you will begin to see that he didn't do well. And Second Chronicles 10 is a transition from Solomon uh, to his son. And so when Solomon died, you will find Jeroboam and, 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 and actually the text of scripture says and all Israel came with Jeroboam to Rehoboam. And you know what they said to Rehoboam? Your father made our life miserable. That's, that's what they said. Here's the person who in, you know, he had a very humble beginning while he was uh, you could literally say, born with a silver spoon, he had a very humble beginning. He began with asking the Lord for wisdom. But how did he end? He ended his, his reign uh, with the kind of legacy where the people came to the next king on the throne and said, your father made our life miserable. He made our yoke heavy. So let's let's remember this that the, the the principles that the scriptures teaches us are not merely meant to be great ideas but they are meant to be guideposts we are meant to follow as it leads we are meant to keep on that path so the first thing we begin to appreciate is this you and i need to learn to build our life on the lord's consent so that, that's why we're seeking god you seek god not so that God can do what he wants to do in our lives. We seek God so that we can ask God what he would like for us to be or do in our lives and do and be accordingly. Unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. So the question is, what are we building? I mean, if you read the scriptures, uh, the Bible is full of examples of people building things. Genesis 11, for example, come, let us build for us a city with a tower. That's the oldest, Metropolis, Babel. Let us build for us a city with a tower. And if you continue reading Genesis 11, you will see that they're building for themselves not just a city, a tower, a dwelling place or a place of commerce, but they're building for themselves a name, an identity that, that brings with it fame and fortune and security and stability. I mean, doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, isn't that what the CBD is all about? Isn't that what banking is primarily providing for the community at large? I mean, you see that in Genesis 11. Right? I mean, you can go a little further. Look at Genesis 16. Abraham is saying, perhaps I can build a family through Hagar. The question is not whether we will build. The question is how we will build. 
will we build with divine consent or not? And what the scriptures reminds us, it shows us over and over again, is that when we build without divine consent, we will either be stopped, Tower of Babel, or we wish we had never started, Hagar. So the question is that we need to consider is, how would you prefer the Lord to deal with what we are building? Stop you? Or let you uh, persist till you self-destruct. See, those are the only options if we build without the Lord's consent. So the first thing we begin to appreciate in this whole journey of building well in the light of seeking God is that seeking God helps us better appreciate the Lord's ways. And that is essential. See, the Lord does not build for us. He is for us and he teaches us how to build. So when the psalmist is saying, unless the Lord builds, the laborers labor in vain, he's talking about a co-building project. He's not talking about the Lord building and the laborers being, uh, you know, inactive or the Lord being inactive and the laborers doing all the, the hard work. He's talking about a joint building project. And it makes it very, very plain that unless the Lord builds, this, this project is pointless. So the question is, what is the Lord building? What will he bless? He will bless only that which he, he builds. And as you continue reading the scriptures, so one thing you see that God insists in, in being involved in and building over and over again is his people. Whether you go from the Old Testament or you're looking at the New Testament, Lord insists in building his people. And you can take Ephesians, for example. So he talks about the sorry, where he talks about the Lord building uh, the, the, the people for himself. Um, 2 Corinthians is a fascinating passage where he, he talks about uh, why this happens, right? Uh, why does the Lord build his people? Because if you read 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 2, he talks about praising God, being grateful to God, because God in Jesus Christ is always leading us in a triumphant procession. And here's what the key, he says, and through us spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Take Ephesians 2, this is the second Corinthians 2, take Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for good works that he had prepared before and that we should walk him. And why does God take those who are dead in the trespasses and make us alive in Christ Jesus? Because in the coming age, he can show the exceeding goodness of his grace through us. So you see, we are, the people of God, are the visible manifestation of God himself. And so when we seek God, you know, he will help us better understand and appreciate his ways. We learn to become his co-laborers in that we will now start building, putting our hands to the plough that he already has his hands on. That's why, that's why Jesus would invite us, Matthew 11, and says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So build your life on the Lord's consent. Build your life on the Lord's consent. Unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain, but that's not where it stops. 
Solomon goes on to say, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. So the second thing you will begin to see that you and I need to learn to guard our lives with the Lord's cooperation. And for that, we need to trust God. Guarding your life with the Lord's cooperation. Now, one way to, to understand this is to appreciate uh, what we, we actually invest our time in. Is, so the, the way to understand this, is there anything we treasure today that will not be lost to us when we go six feet under? That's an interesting way to look at life, right? Is there anything that we treasure today that will not be lost when we go six feet under? Now Jesus, in Matthew, Sex, he says, this lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not steal. And then you begin to ask yourself the question, so what is this treasure in heaven? And then we jump into other passages in the New Testament and so on and so forth. Maybe it's the crowns that we will receive or maybe uh, it's the streets of gold we are going to dance on and so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, you don't have to go that far. Jesus himself tells us what the treasure in heaven is. Because he begins that whole discourse by saying, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. So the only treasure that, that moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot steal is our Father in heaven. So when, when you think about what we guard for ourselves, uh, we begin to appreciate that what we guard for ourselves will reveal who we truly are. I'm to, I'll just throw a couple of things out. I mean, we guard our time. We guard our possession. Now Solomon knew a thing or two uh, about what to guard and how to build. Now if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he tell you that, you know, I'm the kind of guy who does whatever and everything I want. If you were to write a summary statement of Ephesians, uh, sorry, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that's what you would say. Solomon was the kind of person who did whatever and everything he wanted. But you see, that's not going to take you very far. Solomon himself says, I, whatever, I mean, this is Ecclesiastes 2.10, where he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them I did not keep my heart from any pleasure that's that's his, his own declaration but you see he ends up concluding this he says and he considers everything that I've done all that I've toiled and accomplished and expended and and built and I saw that it was nothing more than the striving after a wind. It is vanity. There is nothing gained under the sun. So let me ask that question one more time for us. What, what are we treasuring? Is there anything we are treasuring today that will not be lost when we go six feet under? If there are things we are treasuring today that will be lost when we go six feet under, we can be very sure that it is not worth guarding. When you start learning to guard your life with the Lord's cooperation, you learn to start trusting God. And you see, 
seeking God helps us increasingly entrust our lives to Him. And that's, that's very important to appreciate. Seeking God not only helps us better appreciate the Lord's ways, seeking God helps us increasingly entrust our lives to Him. And trust, as a matter of fact, is not built overnight. Nor can you demonstrate trust with a single choice. So trust is both nurtured and built on one hand and demonstrated on the other, one choice at a time all the choices we make. I mean, think about what uh, Haggai would say to us in Haggai chapter 1 verse 6, one of, one of the most sobering verses you can read in scriptures where it talks about how we end, end, you know, endeavor doing life. It says, you have planted much, you have done all that you can, but you harvested very little. You eat, but you've never had enough. You drink, but you're never satisfied. You you put on clothes, but but you you never warm. You you earn your wages, and almost like you're putting it in a purse with holes. By the time you get to the end of your your rope, you have nothing left. Now that's the last part. I think is a very very common experience. Right? Uh, one of the things you realize when you're living off credit cards is that you're living off borrowed money and borrowed time. Seeking God helps us increasingly entrust our lives to Him. And so when you read the scriptures and when you find that repeatedly, God is calling us to consider our ways. He's calling us to do that for our good. And so it, it becomes important for us to ask, if, if it is important for us to learn to entrust ourselves to Him and build our lives in keeping with that then the question obviously is what will the Lord preserve what will he build and as you continue reading um, in, in Psalm 127 you'll begin to see that the Lord says it is vain that you rise up early and stay up late toiling to, for food you eat for he grants sleep to those he loves um, and, and this is why he said uh, why didn't he say he grants bread to those he loves? Solomon's point is that you and I will need to learn to enrich our lives with the Lord's counsel. We need to treasure God's word. It's something that I've said multiple times. Uh, the, sorry, the most important and the most difficult lesson for us to learn as followers of Jesus Christ is to learn to make word choices over bread choices. If you think about it, our, our relationship with God is nurtured primarily in this relationship where we come to Him and ask Him for our needs and then He, he blesses us and then He builds us up and then our horizons expand. And, and so the foundation is this interaction between us and God as a needy with a need provider. And so if that is the foundation, then it's very difficult for us to learn to switch and start making word choices instead of bread choices. So the question is, who are we listening to? It's not who are we uh, tapping into, but who are we dependent on? 
you know, are we listening to the, the predominant voice that's uh, blaring in our ears day in and day out, which is gain as much as you can, no matter how you do it? One way to appreciate whether that is indeed the case is to ask ourselves the question, what is my number one priority in life right now? You know, if, if, you, if you answer that question, uh, my number one priority in life right now is fill in the blank. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, if it is not something that you have appreciated by the counsel of God, then what you're actually saying is that God can wait. That's what you're saying. We need to learn to enrich our lives with the Lord's counsel because if we don't, our number one priority will be something that uh, is our priority but not based on God's counsel. And so what we are in essence saying is that God can wait. The danger for the Christian is not just that. The danger for the Christian is that now we take what we desire without the Lord's counsel back to him and we say to God, now God, you said you will grant me the desires of my heart. Why aren't you fulfilling your promise? So on one hand, we say God can wait. And on the other hand, we are saying this need of mine, God must meet. That doesn't put us as Paul would say when he writes to the Galatian church, that doesn't put us in a place where we're walking in step with the Spirit, that puts us in a place where we are in many ways at counter purposes with God and God is to blame. If things don't go right with us in our lives, God is to blame. So the second thing we learn, you know, or, or, as we grappled with this, is that we seeking God helps us to increasingly entrust our lives to him because of that the third thing we appreciate in the light of the fact that we, we need to learn to enrich our lives with the lord's counsel and treasure his word the third thing we learn is that seeking god teaches us to live the reordered life well i think i mentioned this last week uh, to us you know the way we live our lives is like a car that's being driven down the road you have to recalibrate all the time otherwise the wheels will not be balanced i mean it's not just good enough that you put fuel into the tank you need to maintain the engine you have to change the filters you know we have to learn to constantly reorder our life and seeking god teaches us to reorder our life you see if you, if you read the scriptures i mean take for example what the lord would say in uh, matthew 6 for example seek first the kingdom of god and so on and so forth and he, he adds to that and he says so I, I tell you don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear and then he asks a very very poignant question which i don't think we've spent a lot of time thinking about his question is is life not worth more than food and the body more important than clothes. Yesterday, uh, I was doing a seminar for a group of people uh, in the Middle East and the topic they wanted me to speak on is uh, the sanctity of sexuality. Now, I, I did a pop quiz, uh, you know, just a basic show of hands of, of things uh, with a group of people. I asked them, and the question had to do with uh, fashion and trends, you know, how many people prefer jeans or, you know, 
you know, T-shirt over polos, stuff, stuff like that. Very, very simple. And, you know, people were very quick to raise their hand in support, you know, thumbs up, all that. I mean, it was on Zoom, so they used all, all the things. And then I asked the question, how many of us would actually be bold enough to say that I take my, the purity of my sexuality more seriously than the genes I wear? And you find the answer was a little slow in coming. It's not that people don't take these things seriously, but you see, we we fail to recognize Jesus' question when Jesus says, is not life more important than food and body more important than clothes? What he's saying is that we have lost perspective and now we are putting the cart before the horse. John 6, I mean, if you happen to go to the, you know, the YouTube videos that I've uploaded, I've done a whole whole uh, series on John 6, part 1, and it's two parts as part of the Seeking God series where the three first three parts are already online. Uh, and two of them are from John 6, and Jesus raises an important question. He says, he says, why are you following me for food that perishes? Don't work for food that perishes. Do we know the difference between the two? And the scriptures reminds us if we don't, or the scripture tells us as we seek God, he teaches us to reorder our lives and do it well. That's why it's so important uh, to be reminded over and over again. If, if the word anxious creates a lot of psychological connotations. Uh, it is psychological, but it's not only psychological. Let me rephrase it. Right? You know, six, uh, chapter 6 of Matthew 6.33, we appreciate Jesus telling us, seek first the kingdom of God. But if you read a little before that, he says, don't be anxious saying, what will you eat? If you were to translate that into contemporary language, I don't know if this has been your experience, it's been my experience, and this is an experience unique to Singapore. We'll be sitting and we will be having, you know, makan, and we will be talking about where to go for makan next. I don't know if that's been your experience. It's happened multiple times to me. We'll be sitting and having lunch and we'll be making dinner plans. What Jesus is saying is that, why are you so obsessed with food talk? That, that seems to be the most important thing. You know, what the words that come out of our mouths unplanned in casual conversations actually reflect our deep intentions and inclinations of the heart. They are the unfiltered conversations. So if you really want to know what's in my, my heart, don't sit and listen to me do a talk. Let's go for lunch or tea or coffee. No, tea, so that's a bad idea. Let's go for coffee. And what I say while we're having coffee is will, will reveal far more about what's in my heart, what I'm really passionate about, than when I give a talk. See, that's what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that why you... Why are you not getting over what will I eat or what will I drink or what will I wear? That's what the ones who don't know the true living God are concerned about. 
your, your father knows these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. If he's saying in Matthew 6.33, he's saying the same thing. He's saying when he teaches us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying the same thing when he says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's saying the same thing here. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seeking God teaches us to live the reordered life. So it is not a, a three-point program. So so it, it cannot be answered by say, so Joe, what practical applications can you give for us? Well, my application is very simply spend a little more time than you normally do with God and His Word. Engage in a conversational relationship with Him. I cannot tell you this. He must. He can use me to tell you this. But I'm not the one who's got, to, who got the authority or the privilege, the power to tell you what needs to be done. He does. Seeking God teaches us to reorder our lives and to live it well. Which then leads me to the last observation in, in Psalm 127, where he, you know, I find this very interesting. There's, I, I've always wondered what's the connection between the first two verses of Psalm 127 and the last three verses of Psalm 127. Where he's talking about the Lord building, the Lord guarding and watching and you know you rising up early and so on and so forth. And suddenly it, out of nowhere he jumps and says, Behold children are an inheritance, a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior, children in one's youth. Blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame. When he speaks with his enemies at the gate there's a lot of connections we must draw but at least this much is true what we seek to pursue in our lives today is the trajectory we will set for our children to walk in tomorrow what we seek to pursue for ourselves in our lives today is the trajectory we are setting for our children to walk in You know, I will. I remember this. Uh, uh, I'll leave the person unnamed. Uh, a rather prominent person who invited me to speak at an alumni gathering, which was at the NUS Guild, uh, and so, yet, this this place was packed with uh, quite a few uh, prominent people, both in society and in Christian ministry, and so on and so forth. And they were all maybe my age or about, you know within a decade older to me so we were in our late 40s to late 50s that that was the group so all married all have children so on and so forth uh, so the question they wanted me to address is leaving a legacy uh, i spoke a bit and you know we we started interacting and i felt uncomfortable with the way some of the questions were framed uh, not because the questions were wrong because it went against the grain of everything that I assumed the group was stood for. So I asked them this question, how many of us believe that the most valuable thing that we can give our children is the knowledge of God? Every hand in the room went up. There were about some uh, so 20 to 30 couples in the room, so about, about 40 to 60 people. Uh -huh. So that, that was what the room was full of. Every hand in the room went up. My next question, 
How many of you have actually found it was okay to tell your kids, uh, you have your PSLE coming up, you have your exam or this coming up, you have that coming up, uh, don't go to church or go for tuition or how many of you have actually given uh, your child a viable alternative when it came to choosing God or something else? Again, almost every hand went up. So don't you see the contradiction? We're actually telling our children, don't believe a word of what I'm saying to you. What we pursue in our lives sets the trajectory of the path our children will walk in. That's a connection. That's a connection that is drawn here by Solomon. And actually, that's exactly what you will see as you read Proverbs. Repeatedly, you will find Proverbs saying, Hold on to the instruction of your father. Hold on to the instruction of your father. Hold on to the instruction of your father. For this very reason that you and I need to learn to fulfill our life's calling within the Lord's purposes. That's why we seek God. That you and I are to fulfill our life's calling within the Lord's purposes. So what is the Lord's purpose? The Lord's purpose is not just we becoming people who have accomplished much, but we raising up a godly generation. You know, Frederick Nietzsche is known to have men said this as part of his philosophy. He says, I want to raise a generation that is imperious, relentless, and cruel. Or maybe that's Hitler borrowing from Nietzsche's philosophy. Because Nietzsche's philosophy was that, uh, yes, uh, if my memory serves me right, it's Hitler who said that. Because Nietzsche's philosophy is God is dead and we need a Superman who would take God's place. So here is Adolf Hitler rising up from the ashes, as it were, as the one who's going to be the savior of his people and eventually the savior of the world. And the way he's going to do is that he wants to raise a generation which is devoid of a conscious, imperious, relentless and cruel. What's the kind of generation we want to raise? Because you see, children are a heritage from the Lord. offspring a reward from him so so Psalm 127 is telling us that we need to learn to pursue to fulfill our life's calling within the Lord's purposes so here's the thing uh, I, I, you know think about this like an arrow in the hands of a warrior or children born of one's youth there are two things that are indispensable for an arrow. One is its arrowhead and the other is its shaft. The arrowhead must be sharp and not blunt and the shaft must be straight and not crooked. 
And that is what you need for an arrow to do what it needs to do when you let it fly. So the question is, the, the, the life our children live, how well it's lived, depends on entirely on, on how sharp we are and how straight we are. Did you see the connection? They, children, are like arrows in the quiver of a man. In, in other words, this next generation and and the way the, the Proverbs, I mean the Psalms is written, it's not talking about my children are my arrows. That's the unfortunate misinterpretation. This is talking about a generation caring for the next. If we are blunt, and we are crooked, the next generation will not get to where they need to go. You know, very interestingly, and I'm a parent, I've got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, so this is not so much as uh, pointing at someone else, it's more introspective. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying them, they are an exact representation of the outcome of the way I choose to live my life. It's not the school's responsibility, it is not the Sunday school's problem, it is not, you know, the internet, it is not whatever else. Their, the way they live their lives is a direct output, it's a direct link to how I choose to live mine. So when you and I step back and recognize that Psalms is telling us that a blessed person, a blessed generation is where you will find your quiver full of straight and sharp arrows. What's, what's the outcome? The outcome when you are someone or a, this, a community or a society is, is, has the privilege of its quiver full of straight and sharp arrows then you will not be put to shame when you're contended with. So, it doesn't matter. And here's the thing. How do you go against the tide of the cultural onslaught that we see coming against us? Raise the next generation. Raise it well by choosing to fulfill your life's calling within the Lord's purposes. You know, we, we are hot on mentoring. In fact, I remember speaking to at least a handful of people. This was when I was in my early 20s, so it's almost, uh, sorry, early 40s. Uh, so it's almost, uh, you know, a decade now. And I've begun speaking because I used to speak to people who were at their, their, the, the pinnacle of their you know, their careers and on the verge of retiring. So they are in their uh, early to mid-60s. And I say to them, you've accomplished so much. It's, it is important you start mentoring people like us. We, we need to have this real uh, hands-on mentoring relationship, not just content. And there are many who have 
refuse to do that because here's the thing when they look at me in my 40s and when they are in their 60s or their mid 60s they see in me what they should have done for their children and i've had this conversation and that some conversations have really refreshed my heart others have broken it to pieces the word of god is true our choices will end up producing either straight sharp arrows or blunt crooked ones it is so important for us the best gift we can give to our children is our bended knees and bowed heads that's the best gift we can give them seeking god seeking god in doing that we embark on a journey in which we become god's co-creators of his new creation see this is what paul would say in romans 8 all of creation is groaning for redemption at the revelation of the sons of god you go back and read abraham's journey and how god's called him and you will see i mean this i'm thinking of genesis 18 for example where where god is talking about abraham's calling and he says i i i i've calling him i'm choosing him so that he will instruct his children and his household to walk in my ways that's that's why i've called him Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 6 we know this uh is incredible uh passage which tells us in Jeremiah 6:4 Hear O Israel the Lord is the Lord is God and the you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul and all your strength and then after he finishes that immediately he says and whatever i teach you whatever i command you it should, you should take it to heart and you should teach your children these things diligently and when you're sitting at home or when you're walking by the way you know it's what is very interesting is that we pay attention to uh do this when you're sitting you're walking you know on you're lying down when you rise you know bind it as a sign on your hand you know between your frontlets of your eyes or write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates we we stay focused on all of that we forget why the why is teach these things diligently to your children in other words the reason now i am someone who has invested my life in the public ministry of the gospel that is my calling and that's what i pursue and that's what i hope to continue doing as long as the lord gives me breath but the goal of being engaged in the public space is not so that i can be engaged in the public space the goal of being engaged in the public space is so that i can teach my children to walk in the ways of the lord i mean you don't have to take my word for it go back and read deuteronomy 6 teach these things diligently for you to your children and that's the context of the great commission as well where he says 
as you go, immerse people into the triune reality of God. See, that context, that experience of experiencing God gives us the privilege to teach, teach people to obey what the, what the Lord has commanded us to. That is something that we have to keep working at and we're working at diligently. My time is up, almost up. So let me wrap this up by, by saying to us that God is calling us to seek him so that we will, we will be able to better appreciate his ways. So we can build our life on the Lord's consent. He's calling us to seek him and to increasingly entrust our lives to him so we can guard our lives with the Lord's cooperation. He's, he's calling us to seek him so that he will teach us how to live this reordered life, which is what allows us the privilege to be enriched in our lives with the Lord's counsel. And finally, in seeking him, we embark on this journey in which in which we become God's co-creators in his new creation and thereby fulfilling the Lord's calling within the Lord's purpose, the Lord's calling for us in our lives within the Lord's purpose. May God bless you as you continue reflecting on these things. Thank you for giving me a patient hearing. Yeah, I have a question. But the children has grown up too late, Eddie. How? <laughs> well, that's okay. Uh, that's, that's perfectly okay. Uh, one of the lessons I'm learning now, which is probably the most painful lesson to learn, is uh, to start a sentence with I'm sorry. Uh, when there's a lot of water that's gone under the bridge, it does not mean there is no more water left to flow. I really wish I had heard those words from my parents. I mean, not that they brought me up badly. I'm really grateful for the parents I have. There are several things that I have fallen off the cliff because I didn't see how these things are done or I didn't know how these things are done. So it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter how much water is flown under the bridge. We can trust the Lord that He will restore to us the years the locusts have eaten. After all, this is a God is recreating everything, right? So that shouldn't get in the way. I hope that helps, Ajay. Uh, okay, thank you. I have a question. Is um, a lot of us desire to seek God in our heart, but I think there are a lot of challenges in our life where priority takes on work or you know commitment takes over the the part of seeking God and working closely with God. Uh, my question is. How do we overcome, uh, you know, these challenges in our life so that we can uh, seek God with our heart and uh, reorder our life, like what you have mentioned? Thank you, thank you, Madeline. That's that's a great question. Something that I've struggled with immensely, uh, even through a large part of my ministry, till I realized that I want God to answer my immediate questions. And so I keep coming to him with my immediate questions and my compulsion to find answers for the immediate, it has robbed me the privilege of the ultimate. 
So over time, I learned to just, here's a practical thing. I read the scriptures, not so primarily to have questions answered or anything like that, but I simply ask the question, so what are you saying? I try to get into the scriptures and, and stand, like for example, uh, uh, reading Psalm 127, I know Solomon's written it, I try to stand behind Solomon's shoulders and kind of have a sneak peek at what he's actually saying or doing. That has allowed me to journey with God through the scriptures and over time I realize I'm not coming with an agenda. I'm drawing my agenda from him. Here's something I learned from a very good friend in Singapore. Uh, maybe some of you would know him. He's a former uh, head of Gillette uh, in, in Singapore. And he, he says this. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning is I sit quietly at my bedside and I wait for the Lord to tell me what he has in store for me in that day. I heard that and I said, that is insane because if I get up and I sit by my bedside in the first five minutes, I'll have five million thoughts firing off in my head uh, that I'll be more confused than clear. I'd rather go and pick up my calendar and look at it. And he said, that's what you need to learn to do. You need to learn to be patient with yourself because the loudest and the most important voice you need to shut out is your own. And I tell you this, it's taken me years, but it's working. And I hope that over, over the years, it will be his voice, which is far more pronounced in my head than my own. So I read the scriptures and I wait for him to speak. And in reading the scriptures, I have gone away from the habit of reading a verse a day. I read, I, I, I keep about a certain time limit. Uh, okay, if I say the time limit I keep, then it might uh, sound too terrible to you. But let me say, I started with keeping aside 15 minutes. And I, I just read for 15 minutes. Whatever I can read, I read for 15 minutes and I come back uh, the next day or the day after that. And that's grown. And I and I continue to commit myself to hearing as my first commitment. And we can do that. It is something that is possible as long as we leave our agenda aside for the time being. Let our agenda be and the Lord will show us how uh, he desires to speak to us more than we desire to, to come to him to be spoken to. Okay, But thank you so much Madeline for asking that question. Thank you. Thank you so much for the answer.